0: Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipness. Many entrepreneurs start at a young age. They don't know that they are entrepreneurs at that point, but they start their own business. Sometimes it's selling t-shirts at school, others knock on doors to mow lawns. Others find a product or service and they wanna sell it because they don't wanna get a job and they're just conditioned that way. Some of us, we learn later in life. In today's interview, we're gonna talk to someone that did start at a young age and still at a young age is going to school and running a business at the same time. I think it'll be a really interesting conversation about how to manage those two things. It's hard enough to run a business But having a full-time college schedule at the same time is super hard. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast, Lessons You Can't Learn in School. We are brought to you on C-Suite Radio by Powertexting.com. Powertexting.com gives away a free hotel stay to one listener of every show. So stay tuned for a little more information on that. My business is about having the right plan, both on the, the marketing side and both on the planning side, and you can get more information on that with my book at freebookfromadam.com. So if you need to make more money in your business and you don't wanna spend a ton on marketing or advertising, go and grab that free book. So now let's jump into the interview. I'm really excited to have this conversation because I'm gonna to talk to a college student about running a business and going to college at the same time. Andre Haeckel, thanks for being here today. I'm really excited about this conversation.
1: Appreciate it, Adam. I really appreciate you having me on the show today to share my story.
0: Yeah, I think this will be really cool because there's, it's very different from the typical entrepreneur. Normally, you know, it's like people are entrepreneurs, they get beat up later in life, they finally have success. And yours is a very different story because you're still in school and you're doing this. But what was your first taste of entrepreneurship? I know you said Even in high school, you were starting businesses. Tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Yeah, so a little bit about my background is I was brought up in a a really big family and um, a family that was just really entrepreneurial. So my dad um, was born in the Middle East and Lebanon and then migrated over to the United States during the war. Um, So he struggled with school just because of all the changes, learning new languages. He, he, He just was never good at school. Um, but he took upon a family restaurant in the area that he moved to in the United States and did really well with it, moved into real estate, and really has just been an entrepreneur ever since he's been to the United States. Um, he found my mom, who uh, comes from an entrepreneurial family as well. Uh, she was brought up in a you know middle-class family in New York, wasn't doing great or whatever, big families, so it was tough to support all the kids. And her dad, who was just this principal for years, basically tripped upon an idea uh, to start a local business based around coupon books. And I mean, to this day, you know, 50 or so years later, they're in 180 markets, probably the biggest small business in, in my area. And so I was just brought up in this family that was really like successful as entrepreneurs. So for me, I, I guess I was kind of in a lucky scenario where I, all I knew as a kid and growing up was entrepreneurship. And that just kind of gave me like the urge and, and the desire to kind of find out more for myself and, and do what they did for myself. I was always like of competitive nature, I guess you'd say. And with a big family, everyone's trying to do different things and, and be the next save around. That's like the name of the, the family business that we all know about. So I just had like a really competitive nature. And I guess if if you trace back to my first entrepreneurial journey, it would be when I was in 10th grade in high school. Um, I had a passion for limited edition sneakers like LeBron's and Jordan's and whatever else. And I had the same problem as any other 13 year old kid is I couldn't afford more than one or two pairs without the help of my parents. And I wanted all of them. And there was one coming out every week. So Uh, Basically, what I did is I came up with this business where I bought and resold them um, to the aftermarket, which resulted in really high margin profits. And rather than just doing it for myself, I did it for other people. And it just spun into this whole business and the sneaker industry uh, that I ran for two or three years. Um, And that, I guess, was my first real entrepreneurial experience, having no experience beforehand. Um, and there were definitely a lot of lessons learned there if you want to dive deeper into that.
0: I, I bet and we will. But I want to ask you first, did you study entrepreneurship? You know, coming from a family of entrepreneurs that own their own business, was it something that you studied and learned more about? Or is it something you just visually saw them doing and you decided that or you realized that, hey, if I want something, I need to find a, a hole in the market like you did with the sneakers?
1: Yeah I think it was more just being in that environment it just kind of like made sense to me over time is just seeing like how they operated what their day-to-day was what they're actually out there doing and working on it just kind of like it for me it really just connected pretty easily it's just like you could go out and get a job like most of my friends and and their families do or you could do what my family has done and that I've known ever since I was little is you know, work for yourself, work within the family. Um, some days are good, some days are bad, some days are really bad. And it's it was really just like entrepreneurship just really clicked with me. And it wasn't something that I had to go out and learn and study, but just being around I guess mentors such as my grandfather and my dad, it really just started to like it, it just connected with me at an early age. And there were some books and some other things and like some people that they would always refer to and and being, especially being in meetings, because like the office is sometimes my grandparents' house, you know, and just being in that environment constantly, I guess it just kind of translated to me pretty easily, if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes total sense. And let's get back to the speaker business, the, the, the sneaker business a little bit. So essentially you bought a pair of sneakers for 175 bucks and sold them for 225. Is that sort of the, 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 the easy way to describe the business model? yeah exactly
1: and for me it was really lucky because again i was i really wanted shoes i just didn't have the money to do it so i guess it was like a problem that i had that spun into a business but the first one that i i tested my theory on was this the first yeezy like of all time that ever came out and i didn't really know like the value that i was gonna have i just knew that people were gonna want them and they were limited and i had a way to get them that other people didn't and I bought the shoe for like 180 bucks. And if I were to if I were to have kept them to this day, I could have sold them for like five thousand dollars. But I sold them like a few weeks after I bought them for over a thousand dollars. So like that was like my first entrepreneurial transaction, I guess. Which, as you as you might know, is like not the typical thing. So I had high expectations after that, which <laughs> I found out is not how it goes every single time. But I mean, it was a great experience because now I had capital to, I had runway at least, you know, I had like $800 margins. I gave back the initial investment to my mom. And from there I was off to the races, I guess.
0: And so, so what did you do with the $800? Did you buy four more pairs or what was the next step in the journey?
1: Yeah, so what I did is I just continued to use that in the same way that I did with the first one is I knew that there was, Shoes coming out every week, um, and if I could do this on a weekly basis, then there's no reason for me to get a summer job. So that was also a thing at the time. Is I had a part time job throughout sophomore year of school, and I just did not want to have a summer job because I've never had a job during the summer, and summer was always like the best time of the year because you didn't have to do anything. All your cousins and family and friends were around. You could do whatever. And during the day, I just didn't want to have to be tied down to a job. So I guess in my own head I was trying to prove to myself and to my family that I could, you know, make a sustainable income through something else that I actually enjoyed doing and that's what I did. And yeah, like you said, that eight hundred dollars was just used to reinvest in the business. And that I mean, that was a big lesson learned too, is like when you make profit from something you're doing in entrepreneurship, the best thing you could do is reinvest it. And I learned that really early on and it's something that I still like really um bought into to this day
0: that's very cool so so it was easy at the beginning but you said that it it wasn't always what was the first major like hiccup or hang up that you had in that business
1: yeah I guess I'd say like it was it was more not like a big failure but I think when I I guess overstretched myself so like I said I started to do it for myself but when it really turned into a business is when I started doing it for other people. And that's when it really became a business, right? Because you're offering like a service or a product to an aftermarket rather than just doing it for yourself. Because if I just bought a pair of shoes and I mean, the resale wasn't great, then I could just keep them or sell them and make my money back. No problem. But when people are buying a service from you where they expect to, you know, get the shoe and expect to resell and turn a profit on it by paying you a fee. So it's kind of confusing, I guess, if you weren't in the space. But what I did is if there was a shoe coming out for two hundred bucks, I would charge someone a hundred dollar fee to get that for them. So it would cost them a total of three hundred bucks, assuming that the shoe is gonna resell for more. Um so there were some some releases that just flopped, you you could say where a shoe was really hyped up and then, you know, people would pay me a hundred dollars. They'd end up spending a total of 300 bucks and the shoe wouldn't resell for a dollar over what they were selling for. So they'd lose a hundred bucks. And that's where I started to, to really get the feel for how businesses and entrepreneurship work.
0: <laughs> so so you, you, you take their capital, you, Resell it for them for a hundred dollars or a piece of the profits What how did you manage that right at 13 years old or 14 years old depending on if you did it year one or year two? How did you account for it? I mean, there's in entrepreneurship as you know now now having several businesses over the last You know six or seven years of your life. There's a lot that goes into the accounting and the planning and the, the um, Being set up as a business. How did you do all of that with other 13 year olds that were giving you 200 bucks for shoes?
1: Yeah, so there. I mean, there's a lot of funny stories that I just go right into. But I guess the easiest way to answer that question is like, again, my dad was my biggest mentor, especially during those first few businesses, um, because we were really trans. I was really transparent to him about what I was doing. Um, and I think it, it was easy not to because it's the Internet and sometimes parents don't understand it and you'd be afraid that they wouldn't agree with it or, or let you do it. But he was really like open to it and he really supported me and I guess held my hand through the whole process in terms of setting up an LLC, a tax ID, a business bank account. So I didn't hold that at a really young age. Um, I think you have to be 18 to set up an LLC. So I remember like I, having like three LLCs before I was 18 and then like finally being able to file one under my own name. Uh, but the nice thing too is my dad's name is also Andre Haeckel. I'm just junior so like that worked out nice and it was just it was just a good situation and he really just walked me through the whole process and I look back at those businesses as not being like a success financially but more of a success is like okay I understand the foundation of how you know you get from an idea to an actual conceptual business that people you know will come to for bit for services or products or whatever it is and there was just a lot that I learned there, and, and I guess a funny story that I just thought of is like, it's not easy for a 13 year old to be accepting payments from other 13, 14, 15 year olds, because what you soon come to find out, I guess the biggest failure of my business was early on, I took a big payment from who who knows who it was. I, I mean, I wasn't really aware of who exactly my customer was, um, but I'm assuming it was a young kid who was using his parents' credit card for a large amount of money. And when their parents saw that transaction on the credit card bill at the end of the month, they charged it back. And I couldn't get it back because I didn't have like an organized product and, and proof that it was delivered. And there was just a whole spiel about it, but I lost out on a good amount of money there. And that's, I think, when I transitioned into a new space.
0: Wow, yeah, we, we could that could be a show in and of itself. But did, <laughs> did you end up with the shoes?
1: No, I, I mean, I just ended up losing. Well, I actually had to buy the shoes for them, send them to him. He got them, and I used my own money to get them. That's how it, like, really worked, assuming that the money that he sent was already mine. Um, yep. But then at the end of the month, I just lost all that money back. So I just, like, I, I took a big loss on that one.
0: <laughs> wow, and and so so that changed – um uh, obviously, it changed your thinking and it and it taught you a lot so what what did that lead to? Was that the end of the business or was that the beginning of the end of the business?
1: Um well, I guess from there, I transitioned into another um service business in the sneaker industry um like more technical side so like with to get sneakers like especially limited edition ones, there's like bot and computer softwares. And then, to use those softwares, you have to have like these things called proxies, which mask your IP so that you can you know from your computer pretend that you're a thousand computers at once to have a better chance to get the shoes so it got really technical um so I kind of transitioned to that side of things where um it was it was cool again it's like there was it's hard to understand if you're not in the industry, but there's these things called proxies, and the only way you get proxies is is through these uh, people that sell them for 30 days. You get a 30-day subscription to a proxy, but sneaker releases only last like a few minutes on a weekend. So you're using a 30-day a proxy, but you're only using them for 10, 20 minutes, one hour, two hour, whatever. So I basically came up with a solution called 24-hour proxy, where you could you could rent a proxy for 24 hours rather than 30 days because you're not really getting your money's worth for 30 days cause you're paying extra and you're only using it for a fraction of the time. Uh, so I came up with that concept and what I learned with that is that, um, I put it out there, 24 hour proxy. It was a great name. People loved it, but I had no idea how to deliver that product to the market. And before I could find out how to do that, other people who saw the idea and saw people talking about it and saw people excited for what we were trying to bring. Um, took advantage and, and got to market first and made a killing. Uh, I've actually went to market a few months later, did decently well, but not as well as I would have if I, I guess, held on to the idea and waited until I actually knew what I was doing with it.
0: <laughs> so so you told people what you were doing before you did it. So that's the, the uh, I guess, had you known about whether it's trademarks or whether it's about, um, you know, all the protections you could do for yourself because that's another big part of business, right? Is protecting yourself, protecting your clients, protecting your IP. And you gave it, you told everyone a it because you were excited. What did you learn from that going forward in your other businesses now that you're doing today?
1: Yeah. What I learned with that is to, to stay patient. <laughs> so patience is now like a really big aspect of what I do with everything. Um, because rash decisions like that to create like a Twitter and an Instagram and like start telling people about this awesome idea of a product that I had no idea how to actually deliver to the market was like just stupid looking back at it because you're just putting information out there to like satisfy short-term, um, wants or needs. And then it, it's just not a good idea because other people are seeing it. If they can produce it, then they're going to beat you to market. And there's just no benefit either way is like, it's really just for your own satisfaction to put something out there and to like get people excited. But if you can wait to go to market with something or at least to like start leaking information about what you're working on, that's, that's key. And that's what I, I've started to do now is when I have an idea, uh, I guess just kind of leads into the podcast that we started when I was first in college. It's like, we had an idea for a podcast, rather than just waiting and, and trying to come up with the perfect plan, we started it and after we recorded the first episode and put it out, then we started to promote it. And that's the same thing I did with um I guess my book and our um our media agency that we run now. So all those lessons that were learned when I was like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I knew absolutely really nothing at the time, were all great experience that led to what I do now.
0: We're talking with Andre Haeckel on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast brought to you by powertexting.com. As I said, powertexting.com gives away a free hotel stay to one listener of every show. So go to podcasttrip.com and hopefully you can win that trip. And I'm glad that you went there because it's, the, the, the patience is so important in business. But at the same time, if you go and see people talking about entrepreneurship, you read books on entrepreneurship, Everything tells you to take action and go for it. And you're telling us that if you take action too fast, you can actually do yourself a disservice. Where's the, the fine line or where have you learned the fine line between taking action and getting after it and being patient enough to have a product or service that people will want to buy and that you have honed in?
1: Yeah, I think taking action is definitely like essential as soon as an idea pops into your head but I guess what I'm really trying to say is taking action behind the scenes I'm um, not trying to be so like outlandish about it or, or like show the world what you're doing um, it's not always the best idea but if you you could take action like taking action is, is key but it doesn't mean that when you're working everyone has to know it's not like when you're building a business all your friends have to know what you're doing and I think especially with with college students and, and high school students, like, I, I'm really self-aware. It's like, at the time, I had, like, a big ego, I guess. It's like, I'm trying to, like, show my friends, hey, like, I'm working on this really cool business. And it was just a, an ego thing. I think that's with any high school student. It's like, during that time of life, that's just, the real. that's, like, real life. That's, you know, what kids are going through. And that's what I learned fast, is, like, just to satisfy short-term ego is not is not worth it (laughs) instead of just taking action behind the scenes and then when you're ready to go to market when your plans are in place when you've done your due diligence and you've stayed patient with what you've been doing behind the scenes then you can go and market your business as as long as you have something to provide to the market at the time that makes sense
0: yep and ego don't pay the bills you can find andre's book on amazon what they won't teach you uh, where he talks a lot about what we're talking about today. And so, so Andre, now you've got a media company. You're in college. Well, actually, let me step back once one step. As an entrepreneur, um, a lot of what you will learn in school doesn't necessarily feed the entrepreneur business model, right? We learn a lot about um, geology and science and history and all the things that you learn in college that don't really – build an entrepreneurial business. Why college? Why didn't you just go after your entrepreneurial dream, skip college and go make money?
1: Yeah. So (laughs) a lot of people ask me that question and and people still ask me every day with all that I'm doing. I guess the college thing is I've always been like really good at school. Um, I've never been like a failing student or anything like that. And for me, the situation I'm in is like, I'm living at home. I go to a state school that's a minute down the road, I'm paying next to nothing, I'm not gonna graduate with debt. And I'll I basically be like the first person in my family to get a bachelor's degree, which I guess is, is probably my main reason to be there. And it's just to like keep my parents happy. <laughs> they want me to just go and finish a degree because there's really no reason not to, I guess. It's just like finish something that you already started. Um. And with school, it's really where my target audience is. Like with my book, I'm targeting college students. With my podcast, I'm targeting college students. With everything I'm doing, I'm trying to fix something that I'm already in, which makes it a lot easier because it adds credibility. I think when a lot of like these entrepreneurs that have never been to college or have a really like a lack of education that are just like ripping on college, like I get where they're coming from. but. It's more. I think it it comes off as more authentic if you're actually in it, if that makes sense. Like I'm in college, so I could speak to where it's lacking and where I feel I'm not getting the proper education, um, how they can improve it. I'm. I think really I'm able to fix it within. And there's a few initiatives that I've already taken, such as like starting the largest entrepreneur club on campus at my local college this semester, which has been an awesome experience just to work with other student entrepreneurs. And then a big thing I talk about in my book is taking advantage of your classes to apply them to your passions or entrepreneurial ventures. So just a quick example, I know I'm going a little off tangent here is one of our classes is I'm in a business school and one of the classes is like management information systems, which I don't really have an interest in, but the project is to come up with a business plan and everyone's just coming up with these like hypothetical business plans just to get done with the project. But for me, I've had this business plan that I've really just put on the back burner for a really long time. But now with this class and with this assignment and project, I have like an excuse to to come up with a business plan for that idea to do um, a marketing plan and a pitch deck and have three other people working on it at the same time. So there's, there's benefits to it, but more importantly, I think it's just being in the system so that I could fix the problems within if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's interesting. A, a very good friend of mine, she's uh, in the entrepreneur space. She raised her kids as entrepreneurs and they learned from a very young age how to run a business, how to get uh, capital for their business, what LLCs worth, work, wh- were, how they work, all of that. And when her son went to school, he called his mom and he was like, what am I doing here? They're not teaching me any of the stuff that I need to know to run a business and she told him you're there to find your cfo you're there to find your operations manager you're going to be the ceo of this company you need people who have an employee mindset but are really smart are really talented and you can find them and i wanted to ask you you said i was you said you've got several people in your media company you know where did you find other entrepreneurial minded people in school so now you have this large club how did how did you find these other students who also had the same track, same mindset as you?
1: Yeah, I think it's just being proactive. LinkedIn is one of my biggest social media platforms, I guess. And it's really easy to connect with students at your university through LinkedIn, um, which I think a lot of people underestimate. And then the biggest thing is I've been a part of a local incubator in my area since um, a business competition in high school where um, I met them for the first time, and I've been involved with them for a while. Uh, I worked a sales job at one of the startups in that incubator for a year. Um, that came to an end in, like, September, and then I took on a job with the incubator directly to be the student ambassador. So they have a great team there. They're building is state-of-the-art. It's beautiful. That's where I spend most of my time. Um, it's like a Silicon Valley, like, office headquarters it's amazing there and for the area that we're in it's like you'll never find anything like that or you'd be shocked to like see that there's something like that that exists in our area so I spend a majority of my time there I work closely with their team there and they just give me really everything I need the resources the teams the contacts um alumni is definitely a big part of it to go out and and do what I'm trying to do to connect with these other students out there that might be interested in starting a business. And then when I do connect with them, the incubator is right there to provide them with office space, mentorship, um, marketing, anything they need to get their idea or business or concept off the ground, which is, which is awesome.
0: That's so cool. So tell us about the current business, right? You've got, you've well, you've got the book, you've got the podcast, you're going to school and you've got your current media business. Tell us a little bit about that business and how it got started.
1: Yeah, so this one's actually really cool. So over the last year with the podcast, we've been interviewing some really cool people that have been telling us all these different ways that they make money or all these different side hustles and opportunities. And at first, it led to me doing social media marketing um, as a side gig, which was great. And then I got into websites, which was great. And then I got into sales funnels, which was great. And then I got into online courses, which is great. And then I got into PR and video production and podcast consulting—all these different things—and the the problem with all those is that I was trying I was treating them as like individual businesses. And what I realized now is why not start a media company that does all of those things and hire people that are interested in in one thing or another, train them to be the best person at that, and then fulfill client needs whenever they come to us with requests for whatever service it may be, a website, social media campaigns, PR campaigns, whatever it may be. So really Incubate Media is just an umbrella company for everything that I've been doing over the last year. And it's cool because now it gives me a chance to build everything under one name. It gives me a chance to bring on like young and ambitious students to teach them some of the services that we offer so that they can get experience with a startup and working with other startups and some of our clients. And it just gives, I think that's like the end all for me is like that company is going to be like everything for me once I'm out of college. And I'm just lucky to have like a good group of people that I'm working on with that. So I'm really excited for that. Um, I just think it's got a lot of potential, so.
0: That's fantastic. And are, are there other businesses, and you don't necessarily have to name them, but are there other businesses that are, that are doing this or going down this road that you're able to model and you're able to uh, utilize where you see them going right and where you see them going wrong to add to your business?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. And all the services I mentioned, like, I mean, anyone can do websites, anyone can do social media, anyone can do PR. Like these are like typical services that a media house would offer. Um, I, what, we do and how we like separate ourselves is really just like how we communicate with our clients like for and it's all based on problems that we've had when we've tried these services on our own from someone else which is cool because we like our a media company but we we have a perspective of the client which i think is important um but some of the companies that we model ourselves after is like vayner media for one that's gary v's media company that is massive he makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year off of that company and it's hard to to get any better than that but we take a lot of inspiration from them and locally i guess incubate media was a result out of the same problem locally is there's not really a media house that does everything there's separate companies that do certain things like website social media uh PR commercials, but they're all separate. So tying everything under one name that a client could come to a a true full service agency that someone can come to with needs or a book release that they're not really sure how to market. And we could just give them a really laid out customized plan based on our prior, um, you know, knowledge and experience with, with what they bring to
0: us. So how do you manage your time with everything that you're doing between school and between the companies and the podcast? How do you schedule your day or manage your time to be able to get it all in and deliver a high-touch, high-quality service to your clients?
1: Yeah, so time management is, is a really big thing. And when we first started the podcast, that was one of the questions that I would always ask our guests is like, how do you manage your time? What are some time management skills? and really i've just taken a few things whatever works for me and applied them to my day to day basis so i mean i work up, i wake up considerably earlier than most college students like 7am i mean it's not early but it's earlier than a typical college student i guess or at least the, the college students that i talk to and that allows me to work on um a podcast or a book or client work for an hour and then i have class at 830 And I'll go to class at 8.30. That'll be an hour and a half. And then I'll go to the incubator and work, have lunch, go to class again. And so I think it's really just taking advantage of every minute of the day. I know it kind of sounds cliche, but like when you're really self-aware of what you have to do and and how much time is left until the next thing you have to do, it makes it really easy. And obviously there's apps like Google Calendar is like my Bible. (laughs) I use that for absolutely everything. Um, so if it's not on my Google calendar, it's not going to get done. Uh, so that's super helpful to like stay organized to know what I have to accomplish that day. And then other things in the morning is like writing down a to-do list at night, kind of visualizing your next day and saying, hey, okay, I did this today. This is one thing I, I forgot to do. I'm going to make sure I get that done tomorrow. Um, and I think it's just, again, I think it all comes down to self-awareness. And then one of the things I've kind of tripped upon lately is like when I do work, Especially things that I'm passionate about, or good at, or enjoy doing, I'm super effective. Like I could work really fast, and I think that's also important for people that are starting businesses. Like find something you're passionate about, and find something you're like truly good at. Because if you could do a website in half the time at another age, so you can do a website, then time doesn't necessarily become a problem anymore. And that's like kind of the situation I found myself in. But again, I think it's just all self-awareness and making use of a calendar app.
0: Great. So last question for me, and you're not going as far back as some other people I asked this question to, but if you, if you were to go back to that first business, um, you go back to the sneaker business, you know, six, seven years ago, what's one thing that you now know that you would have done differently in that business? Like with the, with the the power of retrospect or the power of 2020 vision, what would you have done differently that could have changed that business for the better?
1: Um, I would have treated it more as a business and I would have portrayed it more as a business rather than a side gig being run by a 13 year old. Uh, I think the biggest problems with that business was that there was really never like a business name that people tied to it because I was, it was really just me. It, there was no company involved. It was just me. So people who did business with me knew me and not the company name. And I was just 13, 14, 15 years old. And it was I wasn't really professional um, at the time. And I was still learning communication skills and how to manage clients and how to do customer service. So I guess if I were to start that business again today, I'd really focus on being professional and running like a true business rather than teenager just running something they're passionate about (laughs) and (laughs) the other advice I'd say is like if I was to speak to that kid that was starting that business I'd just say like you know nothing because there's so much that I was on the cusp of learning when I first started that so those are a few things I guess I'd say
0: that's awesome and you can connect with Andre on social media Andre Haeckel, H-A-Y-K-A-L. You can grab his book, What They Won't Teach You, on Amazon. Um, listen to his podcast. I'll put all this information in the show notes. Andre, thanks for being here. I love the information, love the story. Yeah, I
1: appreciate it, Adam. Hope your audience enjoys as well.
0: <laughs> I know they will. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Talk to you on the next one. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.